This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Welcome, welcome to the freshest, the latest edition of Tiger's Talk with Chirko and Company. It is episode number 100 of the podcast. I am your host, Vito Geronimo, Jerome Chirko, along to my usual sidekick and partner in crime, that is the doc, from Doc and Jock, John Charles Macaroon. John, how's it going? Vito, congratulations, 100 Tiger's Talk podcast Unbelievable stuff, sir. And this one should be a very festive episode. We got a lot to talk about, a lot of things to get to regarding the Detroit Tigers. You know, I kind of did feel bad for Justin Verlander on Monday's game when he was taken out in the seventh inning, I believe. Many people were like, okay, bring him out for the eighth. Brad Osman should let him come back out, throw a couple pitches, maybe just go out there, throw one pitch, and let the fans really show their appreciation for a guy that maybe, just maybe, might have pitched his last game at Comerica Park. But it didn't happen. After 119 pitches, he was taken out of the game. In a game, the Tigers subsequently lost when Drew Verhagen gave up back-to-back bombs in the 11th inning. And the Tigers lost the opening game of the series versus Kansas City. And I guess we can start there because many people are talking about JV's legacy, where he ranks in terms of all-time pitchers. For the Tigers, there's a lot of rumors regarding where he might land. May he end up with the Dodgers, Cubs, Houston, other type squads. It's kind of an interesting week, no doubt about it, regarding the Detroit Tigers. And JV's right there in the center, in the eye of the storm. JV, 17 Ks, his last two starts, both against the Royals. High quality performances where he threw seven innings at least in both outings against KC. Also, three walks combined, lowering the walk rate a tad at least. His walks are elevated this season compared to last year, compared to career norms for Justin Verlander. It's good to see the Ks are there, though, still. He's still throwing hard, and the walks have been down once again the last two outings, both thrown against the Royals. So I don't know how much you can take out of that because of the fact that it was against the same team, two consecutive starts, but he definitely loves to mow, huh, and throw down against the Royals. I mean, that's clear cut. We have seen that now the last two outings he has had against the Royal Stock. Do you think that was his last performance with the Tigers? Based upon some of the emotion that you saw in the dugout after he was out. Now, the media interviewed him. And he's like, look, you guys keep asking, but I'm not really focused on that until Alavila calls me into his office. I'm not really thinking about it. But do you think this week will be the last week? Or maybe just maybe the deals that are being offered for him aren't going to be good enough and all this by the time July 31st, the trade deadline hits, might all be for nothing. He might still be here. Well, he has an ERA of four and a half this year, and that's still not sexy or appetizing to a lot of clubs. And then there is a big contract to take into account with JV. The thing is, is that you only have two more years of Verlander in his current contract after this season. So other teams looking at acquiring him potentially are looking at that as a factor, and the Tigers now are willing to pay some of his salary. I believe the rest of this season's salary for Justin Verlander. And at the end of the day, though, it's still a lot of money for a guy that is now 34 years old. He is no spring chicken. And when you look, 
also at his FIP is fielding independent pitching, which is the best way to evaluate starting arms, relief arms nowadays. It is at over four. 4.21 is his fielding independent pitching. That tells me Verlander is not pitching as if he is in his prime. He is not at that all-star caliber level. And he really hasn't been up to this point in the season as well. So I think that will scare off some teams. And I think it also is worth saying that for the Tigers' sake, they better make sure that they get a really good return for Justin Verlander. Because honestly, if they don't, they're going to have to hear about it for a long time. And Alavila will especially, could be a PR nightmare. And I think at this point, because teams maybe aren't as willing to give up middle tier, at least prospects in return for uh, Justin Verlander, that's why maybe you think about waiting until the offseason to actually deal. The Tigers, I'll say this, the Tigers' former ace at this point with Michael Fulmer emerging as the legitimate ace of this Tigers pitching staff this year, Doc. Now, Vito, Jason had a great question for you from the Motor City Sports Ram podcast. He's wondering, what do you think about the possibility of not getting prospects back for Justin Verlander? Lots of debate regarding, look, one of the big goals for the Tigers is getting fiscally responsible, meaning they can't come out and say, look, we got to dump payroll. But in essence, in the next couple of years, they're going to spend less on team payroll than they have in the past five years. Okay, they're going to probably be in the neighborhood of 140 million to 160 million in team payroll. Okay, so if a squad like the Cubs comes at you and says, look, we'll just take on his salary and pay the rest of it. Okay, and we'll give you a prospect lower tier on the lower tier end of of ability per se. Would you make that move or would you package Justin Verlander maybe with a Justin Wilson or somebody else to try and potentially just get Justin Verlander off of the books? And my opinion was. Within reason, if you can get Justin Verlander's salary, that $28 million off the books in the next couple years, you got to take a serious look at it. And I know they're trying to you know, do the whole PR thing and not talk about how much salary they're going to dump and things like that. They're trying to still give fans hope. But the realistic notion and what should realistically happen is they need to take a look at how much of the salaries they can cut. Realistically, Miggy, you're not going to let go of. He's going to be here for a long time. The next guy on the food chain that's making a bunch of money is Justin Verlander. So if there's an offer out there, maybe it's going to be the Dodgers since Kershaw got a back injury that's now been reported. Maybe it's going to be another squad that's going to make a move. But if there's an opportunity to move Justin Verlander just to get rid of the salary, you make that move? No, not at this point because I view it like this. Two years from now, when his contract does expire, he's making $28 million annually, as you noted, Doc, until 2019. In 2019, maybe the Tigers are back to relevance. You know, have a resurgence where they are relevant again and are a playoff contending ball club. If so, you would like him as an effective number three, as he might be by 2019. I imagine that he could be pitching at that level by 2019, or still in 2019. So I say, unless you get a good quality return, in return for Justin Verlander, you don't just simply pull the trigger to get rid of his $28 million salary that he will be making annually until 2019. So for me, that's not good enough, just a salary dump, purely a salary dump, as they did with Cameron Maben in the offseason, as they could with a few of these guys, specifically Justin Verlander, the most, well, easier than Miguel Cabrera to do it with, because Cabrera, I think, will be here until 2023, making all that money that he is. So Verlander, his contract, because it's expiring sooner than Cabrera's, is more movable, but I still think you have to package him with a Justin Wilson and or Ian Kinsler, two or three guys combined, you know, or in total with 
JV taken into account, I think, in order to get the best haul in return for Justin Verlander at this point, leading up to the trade deadline, with the deadline being, the non-waiver trade deadline specifically being, July 31. So I think you might want to wait until the offseason because that's when you probably have a better chance of dealing him straight up for two or three at least middle-tier prospects in return. Right now, if you just deal him straight up, you might not even get middle-tier prospects. And the Tigers have to look at acquiring middle-tier positional prospects to build the team up for the future, to be potentially in contention for 2019, let's say. So unless that offer is on the table from somebody right now, you don't deal Justin Verlander, in my opinion, Doc. See, the reason why I disagree with you, Vito, is that there's risks involved in keeping Justin Verlander. For example, yes, the last couple outings, he's really brought it, okay? But like you've said, and I referenced you uh, on the podcast that aired on Tuesday on our network, I said, look, Vito's told us in terms of the analytics that his strikeout rate has dipped. His, you know, the number of walks per nine innings has not been right. Okay, he's not even able more often than not to get out of the seventh inning without pitching 120 pitches because of the fact that the opponents are swinging and making contact with more pitches and fouling them off. He's having to battle and grind to get through innings. And so the way the way I conceptualize what you told me in terms of the numbers is that Justin Verlander going forward, you're not going to see a great resurgence game in game out. Okay, and I know people don't give credence to wins and losses, but the way I look at it is you're you're looking at a guy that every other performance might struggle for you. Okay, and so his ability to perform game in, game out is going to be a question mark. Now, you could say, look, John, that you might have to have a little bit of hope that he tweaks things continuously and he gets back to throwing nine strikeouts like he did versus Kansas City and he might keep getting better. But if you ask me today, I don't believe that's going to be the case. I believe that Justin Verlander is on his way on the downside. So if you can get anything for him within reason, no, of course you're not going to dump him for nothing. Well, you asked me that whether or not that could happen. So I gave you my yeah, but answer I, regarding that, that you're not going to just dump him purely for a salary dump. I think you might have to consider it because of the fact that, you know, Al Avila put his cards on the table in the offseason last year and said, look, we're, we got to get down. We got to be more fiscally responsible. Unfortunately, you can't negotiate the way we all want to because, unfortunately, he exposed his cards. You can't go back and say, well, no, no, we're not going to just give him up. That's all what he's trying to do is save face. He put it out there. So that's why you're seeing low ball offers from general managers going really low with the efforts of maybe coming up a little bit, whereas he's trying to offer really high and come down. And I do feel like there's going to be a a desperation point where it's not going to be in the Tigers' favor. If you have an opportunity where the onus is we're going to pay the salary and the Tigers don't have to keep paying any of his salary, I think you take a serious look at it because Justin Verlander, I know we all have visions of the past when he was amazing in the postseason, two amazing Game 5s that helped the Tigers advance in the playoffs the guy that was brought up as a as a rookie pitcher that helped get them to the World Series in 2006, the flaming superstar, unbelievable talent. But we're we're talking about the here and now. And when I look at it and I explore what the options are, if it's for a salary dump and they take on the majority of the salary even up to, you know, 90% that they'll pay, I seriously consider it because goal number 1 is not replacing the talent. Goal number 1 is fiscal responsibility. And I'm curious to see 
I think it's going to shake out in your favor. I don't think they're going to make a move just to get rid of his salary, that they do want some things in return, and some team might do that. But I would seriously consider it because Justin Verlander's salary is prohibitive at this point in time. That's the way you look at it. You want to become more fiscally responsible. The Tigers do. The ownership Within two definitely years. does. Within two years. Okay, so how about we just don't pick up the team option for Annabelle Sanchez and for Ian Kinsler in the offseason? That's a lot of money. Shut off the books, too, by not picking up their team options. And Verlander, by the way, the Cubs are off the table as a destination for him at this point because they acquired a cost-affordable 28-year-old lefty in Jose Quintana. He's not going to the north side of Chicago to play for the Cubbies anytime soon, in my opinion. And the thing is, a team picking up, being willing to pay a salary the rest of the season is feasible. Now, is it possible for a team to pick up and pay a salary for the rest of his contract until 2019? No. That's not going to happen, by the way. So remember that as well when taken into account the feasibility of JV being dealt before the July 31 non-waiver trade deadline this season. Now, the Dodgers still exist as an option and are more of a legitimate option at this point because of Kershaw's injury, Doc, as you noted, out four to six weeks going forward. The thing is, they have an embarrassment of riches that they might just realize, well, how far they're ahead in the National League West division, that they don't, they don't need a starting pitcher to be added to their rotation for the rest of the regular season. And from all accounts, I think they realize that because Kershaw will be back before the end of this regular season, meaning he'll be healthy for the postseason, they don't need another arm in their rotation for a playoff run and a run potentially to the World Series. So I think that might even eliminate them from the possibility of acquiring JV by that July 31 non-waiver trade deadline. So remember that as well when taken into account whether or not it is feasible for Justin Verlander to be dealt. And I think, you know what, I think everybody is available pretty much on this Tigers roster. I mean, JV actually is. It's just they're not going to find a trade partner for him. So that means I think everybody besides for Michael Fulmer specifically. So I would think about trading Matt Boyd, who has... Have you seen what he's done lately? Two straight starts, a six it's innings, quality bad. starts, two in a row from Matt Boyd since he was recalled from AAA Toledo. You would trade him. If you got a good return, which you're not going to get a good return for him right now. But if you got a good return for Daniel Norris, you would trade him, by the way, as well, even though he's going through a rehab assignment. It was just pulled from his recent rehab uh, outing. So that wasn't good for his future this season. But it's about the long-term future for the Tigers, about these guys getting their acts together for 2018 and beyond, and really, specifically, 2019 and beyond. How good will Miguel Cabrera be by 2019 at that point? Because you need him to turn it around, really, in time for next season, but really, as well, more importantly, for 2019, when you might be more in contention again, relevant once again as a ball club. You need a guy like that to get his act together in time for that season, since you're not moving Miguel Cabrera. He's not going anywhere until his contract expires in a Tigers uni, more than likely. It's like a 95% likelihood that he's not going to be dealt before that contract expires for him. So you need to see him turn it around eventually. And like I said, really, by 2019. And Verlander to be pitching better next season, but especially by 2019 if you never deal him. And same thing for Norris and Boyd, these youngsters, to develop and be full-grown, fully ready to perform at the major league level effectively by 2019. Because that's what I see as their window, at least potentially, for winning again at the soonest is 2019 for the Tigers to be relevant again. And that's why that's when you need these guys either to turn it around or to keep developing and to be full-grown, to be fully ready to pitch and or to perform at the major league level consistently and effectively by that point, Doc. So many people on our Twitter page at Detroit Podcast have started to reminisce as if 
Justin Verlander has already been traded. So I want to get your sense a little bit about what you will remember about JV. Many people are starting to reflect, and in the second half of the podcast, we'll do a little bit of comparisons because a lot of people wonder, is Justin Verlander the best pitcher that has ever pitched for the Detroit Tigers? And I want to get your sense as to where Justin Verlander ranks among those pitchers that have donned the old English D. But how are you going to remember Justin Verlander should this be the last week he is with the Detroit Tigers? Well, it won't be the last week that he is with the Tigers. Okay, so I would be very surprised. And you can call me out on Twitter, right, when you hear that he is dealt, if he is dealt by the July 31 non-waiver trade deadline. But I am going to remember him for his Cy Young MVP campaign in 2011, also for last year when he should have won the Cy Young, also for the fact that he's thrown two no-hitters against the Brewers in 07, and then against the Blue Jays. Remember, he did it as well after that. So I'm going to remember Verlander for really bringing a resurgence to this Tigers franchise as he made his big impact with the Tigers starting in 06, pitched a little bit in 05, then came up full-fledged in 06, and has been dominant year in, year out almost. Now, not quite 08 wasn't great, but really since about, what, 2010, since 2011, 2010, I think, he's been mighty dominant and a Cy Young candidate almost every single season. So I will remember him for being a dominant right-handed arm for the Tigers realistically since at least 2010 about Doc, I would say. Now, listen, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that he did have a scandal and that I've seen more of Justin Verlander than I've wanted to, unfortunately, because of the fact that there were some photos leaked from his cell phone and unfortunately, in order to see Kate Upton, you know, fully nude, you had this peek at whatever the hell Justin Verlander was doing. So, you know, obviously, you know, many fans in Detroit know him up close and personally because we've all looked at Kate Upton. You know, I don't know. Have you looked? Have you? I, I've seen the picture. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. So many people have looked and saw the picture. And listen, we're we're honest here. We wanted to see what Kate Upton had. What she had to offer? Yeah, Were there multiple photos? I think there was. I think yeah. I just saw one of them. Multiple. That's all I wanted to see. And. That's all I wanted to see of Justin Verlander, for sure, as well, I think, for you as well. Yeah, so it looks like there's a scenario in which, you know, people are reflecting on Justin Verlander, the memories. Obviously, the Game 5s stick in my mind. In well, terms against of the A's, yes. You got to remember those. Unbelievable back-to-back yep. years. Yep. Game 5, they called on JV, and his stuff was lights out. Yep. Talking about mid-90s fastball, dominating. Stuff that was comparable to another Tiger great, Jack Morris, and many people have debated it, and we'll talk about it later on in the podcast, but many people like a pitcher like Justin Verlander and what he has to offer. Great fastball, wicked curveball at times, and just a guy that would go out there and compete. And what we all love, too, is the fact that I don't think I ever recall a pitcher that would get better as the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth inning would progress where his miles per hour would increase. Unbelievably where he'd start the game off throwing 94 at ease, trying to get through the game. All of a sudden, when he'd get ramped up, his miles per hour would ramp up and his fastball was unbelievable. And a guy that really did well in Detroit. But I guess I have to ask you, because when people are comparing him to Jack Morris, Morris has a ring, JV doesn't. How much punishment do we give JV and how much of a decline do you give him in the ratings of a guy like a JV because of the fact that as part of the Tigers, he didn't win a World Series ring with the squad? Well, think about it this way. He made two World Series runs, though. Jack Morris only won in 84. Now, he won it all, has a ring. That says a lot. Verlander doesn't have a ring, and that affects your legacy. But I'm going to say this, too. 2013, he pitched well when they should have made the World Series. So he made two World Serieses. Has always pitched good in the postseason outside of the World Series and outside on the big stage as well. Has pitched well outside of, well, the All-Star game and 
the World Series. So I would say he still has a lot going for him and has a very sexy right-handed arm with a sizzling fastball and a very, very nice and appetizing 12-6 curveball. So we'll always remember him for the good memories. And like you said, against the A's, got it done in Game 5 in the first round two times against the A's when the series was on the line and he had a B, must-see JV. And he was. He delivered, Doc. See, Vito, I get a sense that you're really nice and that you are really leaning towards favorable marks for Justin Verlander. Yes, obviously, in the Divisional Series, he was amazing. Jack Morris, though, 10-inning performance that everybody raves about. You know, he, I think he threw well over 100 pitches. I think it was in the neighborhood of 140. And people are like, this was a World Series game with the Twins. Not in a Tigers uniform. Are we talking about Tigers starting pitchers? No. Who's the best of all time? Morris with a different team then. But at the same time, though... Justin Verlander, when he's gotten the opportunity on the bright lights Uh and the big stage, his number's vastly different than Jack Morris. So people give him a demerit in that when he pitched versus the Cardinals and when he pitched versus the Giants, he wasn't must-see JV. But many people will say— At least 06, though, was his rookie year. Now, 2012, no defense for him. What happened in 2012? Refresh everybody's memory. Oh, Pablo Sandoval took off, the Giants just performed, and— you know what? We couldn't hit their bullpen. Tigers could not hit their bullpen. The Giants had that mighty good bullpen back then when they were relevant in winning World Series titles. Now they don't, and now that's why they stink as much as they do, as we saw firsthand when the Tigers played them this season too, Doc. So, Vito, you don't mark him down too much for the fact that the starts that he put out there in the World Series, when the lights were the brightest, he didn't really perform that well. So a few ineffective seasons, a few ineffective World Series is that he performed in as a Tiger. We know that much. So yes, I will take it off of his grade as a Tiger overall and say, you know what, maybe it takes him from an A to an A-. minus Or from an A+. plus. You could say an A+, plus, arguably, almost, at least an A. And that's how I'm going to say it bumps him down overall-wise to A-? an A- for his grade with the Tigers. That's up to fair. this point, Doc. That's pretty fair. Okay, we'll take How about you, really out. quick, for a grade, for Be- Justin Verlander right now? I would give Justin Verlander B plus. Okay, Overall fair enough. Career. I think nothing lower than a B plus should be given to Justin Verlander and a Tigers uni. No doubt about it. So you got a great guest coming up. Who's going to be chatting with us before we get to our debate regarding where JV ranks in terms of all-time Tigers pitchers? Well, my buddy, Brennan Kudla, who used to be on Chirko and Company back in the day when I had my campus radio show at Detroit Mercy. He didn't go to Detroit Mercy, though. He went to Elma College. And he is Brennan Kudla, admissions counselor at Ferris State and former interim GM of the Bristol Blues of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. And Doc? Since 2001, the Detroit Sports Commission has applied its expert touch to marketing and to selling the metro Detroit area as a marquee destination for regional, national, and even international amateur sporting events. And through the Detroit Sports Commission's help, these events have attracted thousands of visitors and pumped millions, I mean millions of dollars, into our local economy. It is why Detroit is now not only the place where champions are made, but also the place where championships are played. To find out more about the Detroit Sports Commission and all of the events they are bringing to our very region, please follow the DSC on Twitter and on Instagram at DET Sports and check out their very fine website at DetroitSports.org. And now joining me on episode number 100, yes, episode number 100 of Tiger Talk with Chirko and Company is my buddy Brennan Kudla as we are entering the BK Lounge with Mr. Kudla. Brennan, how are you doing today? 
Good, V. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to a little bit of Tiger Talk with you. By the way, Brendan right now is an admissions counselor at Ferris State and former interim GM of the Bristol Blues of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. So Brendan Kudla does have some baseball acumen, and he went to De La Salle High School so in Warren, Michigan, as I did. So obviously he's a pilot who's always a pilot and flying high. Amen, brother. Go Pilots. Go Pilots all the time. And Kudla, you know what we have to talk about first. It is J.D. Martinez being traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And wasn't too appetizing of a package. Dowell Lugo is a top prospect in the deal, uh, the headliner of the deal in so many words, but not too attractive of a commodity, at least at this point, was playing in double-A for the D-backs now at double-A Erie with the Tigers, a guy that was hitting 282 with the D-backs, profiles as a shortstop and as a third baseman, maybe the long-term replacement for Castellanos, who might move over to first or to left field one day, but in the grand scheme of things, when you saw the trade went down, what was your initial reaction? I was relieved. Honestly, I looked at it and I do my own research when it comes to the trade deadline. And I knew that JD Martinez was going to be gone. Uh, Upon my research, I really only found three teams that I thought the Tigers would deal with to trade him. One of them being the St. Louis Cardinals, who were kind of hovering in and out of that race in the central, realized they really don't pick up rentals for their stretch runs. They do a lot of in-house things. So I kind of put them to the side. Next was Tampa Bay. Were they really going to go for it? They never really seemed to go for it. So I left them out as well. And then really only left Arizona and getting a package that includes two top 30 prospects. Now for our system, regardless of how bad Arizona system was, I obviously wasn't too enthusiastic about it. Losing JD kind of hurts. You pretty much give up your run at the playoffs this year. However, I saw the essence of the deal at the time. I believe Arizona was eight to 10 games back in the West. Obviously, trailing the Dodgers is nothing to hold your head about. But if you wait that extra week and a half, they could be 17 games out, and then you have no trade partners to look at. So picking up a top 12 prospect is what Lugo is right now. And the Sergio Alcantara, the shortstop they also picked up, is now 21st in the Tigers system. You got a couple of pieces, and they're – two of three middle infielders in the Tigers top 30. I know maybe nationally it's not as regarded, but you have to start building the depth up of the minor league system, especially after it's pretty much depleted upon Dave Dombrowski's departure of Detroit. Uh, It's not an awful deal, especially for a two month rental when you know you're not going to be able to re-sign JD with the money he's going to command. But Lugo, and by the way, Renan Kula played baseball at De La Salle, at Elma College as well. So, I mean, he has, once again, some baseball acumen, and I have to trust his knowledge, and you guys should too, and that's why he's on episode number 100 of Tigers Talk. But I have a little bit of a problem with what you're saying about these prospects that were dealt in return for J.D. Martinez, and that's because of the fact that, as you already know yourself, Brendan, Lugo wasn't highly touted and was only number four ranked by MLB Pipeline before the season started, and now is number 11 according to MLB Pipeline, and the Tigers' farm system, you know, among the Tigers' top 30 prospects. So for me, it just it wasn't good enough for a guy whose OPS in Martinez has been at least 879 each season since 2014. He had the third-best OPS in the American League at the time of the trade as well, and that's all you can muster up for a guy, as you said, who is a two-month rental in so many words, as the D-backs might not even be able in or willing to resign him at the end of the season for as much money 
that he more than likely is seeking to get on the open market. I just feel like why not, with all that being said, Brendan, wait until closer to the July 31 non-waiver trade deadline to deal them when maybe somebody gets hurt in the corner outfield and teams subsequently become more desperate to acquire a bat of the caliber of J.D. Martinez's bat. You got to take what you can get. Uh, I've read a couple of different articles saying really the top two teams interested and this was other scouts and stuff saying that it was the Diamondbacks and the Indians, and they're not going to get rid of them in the Central, and they really want to get rid of it so it's not a one-month one rental. What are you going to get from one-month rental when you deal them at the end of July? It stinks. It, it's obviously not the most robust deal we could get or ask for, but I think sometimes you got to play the hand you're dealt, and unfortunately it wasn't Miguel Cabrera we could get rid of and pledge a lot of money to J.D. Martinez. But at the end of the day, I I'm not exactly pleased with it, neither should every single Tigers fan, but you do what you can. I think you take it, uh, keep your head up, and see what Lugo can, can become. The Tiger scouts apparently love him, think he's going to be a quality third baseman one day, and you know what, that might just be more than we'll get out of Nick Castellanos over there at third. Yeah, and the thing is, Castellanos, you know, as you know, Brennan, yourself, he doesn't field well enough to really play third time on a full-time basis, and maybe we'll slot over to first base once V-Mart's contract expires and Miguel Cabrera becomes a full-time first, uh, full-time DH, as I think a lot of Tigers fans and baseball pundits out there envision uh, being the case for the Tigers once V-Mart's contract does expire. And I know you have to let it play out, and the verdict's still out there, because really, we have to see what these guys end up becoming, right? Lugo, Elcantara, Jose King, who is only 18 years old, by the way, too, a guy like that. And wasn't even on the radar, by the way, before this deal happened. But still, you have to give, I guess, a little bit of time to see how these guys develop, right? In the Tigers farm system, too, before we can yeah. fully evaluate the trade. Yeah, absolutely. And in talking about time and low-ranked prospects, at one point in time, the Tigers did a deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I believe it was for Robbie Ray, who wasn't a top 100 prospect at the time. And then you wait a couple years down the line, he's an all-star pitcher in the NL this year. It is one of those you really have to see it play out because as much scouting goes into MLB baseball and minor league baseball, guys still slip through the cracks. And in the very recent past, we've had Robbie Ray in our system. We've dealt him, and he's become an all-star for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Hopefully that pays a little bit of reverse system for us, and we get to pick up Lugo, who's an all-star in the AL one day in the next couple of years. But you really don't know, so... As unfortunate as it may sound, I got to trust Avila on this one and hope that he sees something in Lugo that can produce at the MLB level one day. And you know what, Brendan? JD turns 30 on August 21, and they weren't going to resign him, so you want to get something in return for him at least. And they got something. Is it of quality? No. Is it overwhelming? No. But you got to give it time to play out and see what these prospects become as well. And now the thing is, what do the Tigers do from here? What is their next move that you think... Alavila will pull off by that July 31 non-waiver trade deadline. I think it's going to be all the rumblings of Kinsler and Wilson to the Brewers. That seems like it's going to make the most sense for me as a Detroit Tigers fan and somebody that tries to envision himself in that front office. You got Kinsler hitting 248. His backup, I can't swing the stick very well, but Dixon Machado's hitting over 300 right now. With more reps, obviously, that'll probably go down. However, I'm not really on the bandwagon of letting go Verlander. And that's not even thinking with the heartstrings at all. That's thinking a lot to do is what he puts to the old English D, what he's done for us in the past, and what I think he still has in the future for us as well. 
the leadership he can bring to the young Michael Fulmer, the young Daniel Norris. And right now also, seven of the top 10 prospects in our minor league systems are pitchers. The tutelage Justin Verlander can instill into them and give them knowledge and a wealth of experience, even in the spring training levels for the next couple of years, could go a long, long way. That's something I don't necessarily want to give up. Obviously, I'm not the general manager, so I can't tell you that the prospect in return will be well worth losing him for his leadership. But that's something I would go as Kinsler and Wilson and see what you can pick up through those two guys, because I don't see you dropping a ton off in the immediate future here with Ian Kinsler going somewhere else. And if Justin Wilson's a guy that is going to draw a lot of interest and a lot coming back to Detroit, that's something you have to look at. And our bullpen obviously has been a struggle for a while now, and Wilson could be a bright spot for the future. But in saying that, if you can pick up even brighter spots for the future and prospects, that might be a route that you have to go. Do you think the Tigers, Alavila in that front office, made a mistake by not dealing Ian Kinsler coming off of a gold glove campaign, a season in which he hit with pop, that they made a mistake by not dealing him the offseason? Do you think that no, they did? I don't think so. One second. I think they went into this year saying if we are all right, we have the pieces to compete at the highest level and compete in the playoffs. And it just hasn't worked out that way. Uh, a lot of outside circumstances have led to this. I'm well, maybe one of the few people that attributes a lot of what's going on in Venezuela right now to the Tigers' struggles. We don't have to get into that subject whatsoever. No, thank you. Is, that's something I lean into also. But the Tigers just simply haven't produced. And what Brad Osmus said is you got to look in the mirror. And that's why J.D. Martinez was dealt. That's why other guys are going to get dealt because they just simply didn't take care of business. Not dealing Kinsler was a choice to really go at it this year. You know what? They rolled the dice and it just didn't pan out. That happens, but now you adjust and you get rid of them for what you can get. You got to look at the man staring back at you in the mirror, right? Sometimes. And uh, good old Brett Osmus had to do that. Might be finding out sooner than later, too, that he doesn't have a job come next season, as I think he shouldn't have a job. We'll get into that um, in just a second, but... Regarding Verlander, we talked about some trade commodities already, most notably Kinsler, Wilson, Justin Wilson, that is, and Verlander. And it looks like the market right now for Justin is barren. And he only has two years remaining on his contract with the Tigers, $28 million annually. That's a lot of money, but it is only two years. But still, I think at this point, nearing the trade deadline, it's too rushed for a, a team to really make a deal with the Tigers that would entice a major haul in return for Detroit and really replenish their farm system truly. So for me, Brendan, I don't see the suitors out there. And then also, I think it's better to wait until the offseason if you're going to actually deal Justin Verlander. Yeah, I would agree there. A couple things I've been seeing also is it looks like Sonny Gray and you Darvish have to go before Verlander gets dealt just with the contract that he has. Not a lot of people are willing to pick it up. Obviously, you see the stuff with Kershaw going down. JV has a home in Los Angeles. You're going to hear those rumors and those rumblings. But you're right. I don't exactly see that one happening either. I think it could be a little bit of a stretch to get all that worked out. And a team really to pick up that contract for a guy that has a plus four or five ERA currently. Yeah, he's still got the stuff and he's got the experience for a stretch run. But I really don't see that one happening. I think the more likely scenario is Kinsler and Wilson also. And now regarding Brett Osmus, I kind of already hinted at that. I would bring him up and talk to you about whether or not you think Osmus comes back for a fifth season, yes, a fifth season on the job come 2018. What are your thoughts on that? I can't believe he's had a fourth season, let alone going back for a fifth. I unfortunately do see him come back in a Tigers uniform. Uh, 
frustrating as that is to probably the entire fan base, I could see them just giving him one more year. It doesn't look like they're going for it. They might try to see if he has any camaraderie with the young guys that are on the team, the like Castellanos, Iglesias, see if they can go something down that route. Uh, if it was up to me personally, I would let him go and try to find somebody else. But I haven't looked too much into the coaches that are out there. Obviously, there are a ton, but it would not surprise me one second if he does have a job. Do I think he should have a job? No. I think he should have been fired at the All-Star break right before they were trying to make this run to see if they could fire up the locker room and get the guys going before the trade deadline. That hasn't happened, so it seems like there's some sort of allegiance with Brad Ausmus. I could not tell you why, what it is between Avila and Tigers, Brass, and Illich and all of them, but it wouldn't surprise me if he stays on for another year. He might be the luckiest man on the face of this planet. I mean, think I about it. We thought he could have been fired last year. I think he should have been. That might have, you know, added a jolt into the Tigers and maybe catapulted them to the playoffs. I thought maybe after 2015, after how bad that year was. But now I'm kind of on or in the same boat as you, thinking that, you know what, they might just stick it out with Brad Osmus to have that continuity with the ball club, right? A, a similar face, the same face as they've had in that managerial role for the last four years. And because they're booting on next year already, right? They're not trying to win. So why not just stick with the same guy that's been leading this ship for the last four years, even though he has done so in a very subpar manner too? Absolutely a subpar manner. And you know more than anybody, the number one voice when it comes to managers in Detroit is Jim Leland. Absolutely. Every time, every time Jimmy Smokes has had to talk about Brad Ausmus, he's talked about how he thinks he's a good manager. He thinks he has what it takes. It might take time. Every single time he brings up that he thinks Osmus is a good manager. And if you have Jim Leland in your, that that's going to go a long way. And I think it just can continue into that fifth year, maybe even into a sixth or seventh. God, please. No, don't do that to me. God, that would be horrible. Like the most horrible thing to happen to me uh, ever, perhaps. So do not want to see that as a Tigers fan, as an unbiased Tigers fan and pundit, I think as well as you try to be yourself, Brendan. And really quick, as your last question before I let you go, as part of this BK Lounge segment, the debut BK Lounge segment, I guess we could call it Brendan Kudla from Ferris State, Ferris State Admissions Counselor. Kudla, let me ask you about how long you see this rebuilding happening for the Tigers. You know, how long are they booting on winning in Motown? It's going to be a five-year plan, I believe. A lot of the arms that the Tigers do have are young. Their top couple prospects are real, real young, and they all are pitchers. Hopefully they can catch lightning in a bottle in the next three or four years, kind of pull off what the Kansas City Royals had where all the arms and the bullpen just shirt up, and they made that deep run and somehow pulled out a World Series. Obviously it hasn't came back to them in a while as far as making a playoffs or a run, but that's something maybe in the next three or four years if they – catch lightning in the bottle, but it's going to be a five, six-year thing with how young a lot of the guys are. And that's why I think there was a lot of talk about letting go of Fulmer at the at the uh, trade deadline as well. Happy that didn't happen, but it's going to be a long haul before we see the Tigers back toward the top. It could be a lull where we saw at the end of the 90s, early 2000s, where the Tigers were just pitiful. And we needed that Ivan Rodriguez. We needed that Jim Leland to come and reinvigorate baseball here in Detroit. See, I don't see it being that miserable, that long of a rebuild stage for the Tigers as it was well back in the 90s, early 2000s. In 03, they lost 119 games. 
I don't see it becoming that bad in Motown right now with the major league team. And it's because of a guy like Michael Fulmer. By keeping him, I think you could be relevant again come 2019, perhaps. And if you keep Verlander, maybe he's an effective number three. Norris emerges as a frontline starting arm, can slide into that number two spot in the Tigers rotation. And you have a, a solid one through three. And maybe Matt Boyd's your number four. Alex Fado's your number four. And maybe Zimmerman is an all right number five. Or you add another veteran arm, obviously, to be that number five. So I could see where they could emerge out of the scene as early as 2019, but at the same time, that's the most optimistic point of view to take. I know that, that as well. Yeah, that's an optimistic view. I guess my other question is, where does the offense come from? You look at this lineup, and yeah, you have Presley hitting over 300, a couple of guys doing okay, but where are the bats going to come? And it doesn't really look like they're coming from the minor leagues as well. Now, you have to replenish the farm system, and it comes down to adding positional player prospects. They have to do that in the very near future, and until they do, their farm system will continue to be pretty darn barren in terms of specifically positional player prospects and as a whole when you look at and break down their farm system. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you anymore there. BK, I'll let you go with that because obviously i got to make sure you agree with me before I let you go. And that has Amen, been brother. that has been Brennan Kula. Kula, nice talking to you. We'll have to do it again soon here on Tigers Talk. Thanks, Vito. Anytime, buddy. I'll bring back the BK Lounge for you whenever <laughs> you need it. Sounds good, man. Have a good one. Thanks. You as well. And back here on episode number 100 of Tigers Talk with Chirko and Company, that was the potential debut of the BK Lounge segment with my buddy from De La Salle High School in Warren, Michigan, Brennan Kula, who is now the Ferris State or a Ferris State admissions counselor and a former interim GM of the Bristol Blues. I mean, so he has some baseball experience, you know, front office a little bit there with the Bristol Blues. Baseball acumen for sure. And he played baseball, by the way, in high school uh, at ULSL and then in college at Elma College, too. The BK Lounge. Always enjoy when a couple of friends catch up and talk baseball, man. That's what makes this podcast fun, sir. So 100 down, hopefully 100 more to go. Anybody else on the line that you want to dial up? Gotta dial up my first buddy. In my life. That is my brother, Dominic Chirko. He's been on here many times on many past episodes, and we're about to dial him up on this very episode, too, Doc. Mi hermano, Dominic Chirko, what's happening? Hey, Vio, what's going on? The rumor mill's heating up. It absolutely is. The hot stove is very, very hot. And Dom Chirko, you were on with us. Episode number 100 of the podcast that you're on with us for. Always appreciate having you on. You might be the guy that's been on the most editions of this very podcast. I would imagine you are. Ryan Ford might be a close second. Aaron McMahon might be up there as well. But anyways, it's all about you now, baby. Dom Chirko and the J.D. Martinez trade to the D-backs. Last week, it happened after our recording last week when you joined us in studio. All of a sudden, you don't want to join us in studio, and we're doing this over the phone, but we'll let it slide because it's episode number 100, and you're my brother. So, anyway, with all that being said, what was your initial reaction to the J.D. Martinez trade down when you found out that it went down? My initial reaction was I was a little under, for the Tigers, I was a little underwhelmed by it. I think they rushed it. They could have waited a little bit and see what they got. you got to remember, uh, now, not in so distant past, the they were able to call in Daniel Norris uh, for a rental. Obviously, the market's changed, obviously, for a pitcher. But in the David Price trade, you got Daniel Norris. And they don't – I like the philosophy Alville used. They don't have enough position prospects. But they chose to go with a team that has arguably one of the worst farm systems in the majors. And Dwell Lugo, he's basically at the very best – the best prospect that they got netted in the deal, but he might only be a tier two guy. 
Well, yeah, the number four prospect in the D-backs farm system, according to MLB Pipeline coming into the season, and now ranked as low as number 11 in the Tigers farm system, according to MLB Pipeline. So that tells you right there, he's not even good enough to cut the mustard seed in the top 10 of the Tigers farm system. And their farm system is kind of barren, just like the D-backs. And the D-backs farm system is arguably worse, and it has been ranked as worse than the Tigers. And you deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks of all teams, as you said, Dom, Didn't make any sense to me. I don't know where the heck the logic was. And I think they kind of, they didn't royally screw the pooch, but they screwed the pooch here, Alavila and company in the Tigers' front office. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They could have have gone a lot of ways with this because uh, there's other teams that really weren't in the market for an outfielder. And we heard that uh, the Indians were the team and they didn't want to trade him with the division and whatnot, but they could have, they could have, if they waited a little bit longer, put pressure on the Diamondbacks, they could have maybe coaxed them into trading left-hand pitcher Anthony Banda. And they should have waited out for that, or at least wait until closer to the July 31 non-waiver trade deadline. Why not wait it out until then so you get the best possible deal? And then if that D-backs offer is the best one on the table for J.D. Martinez, then you pull the trigger on that deal. You know, why do it last Tuesday, July 18th, and not wait it out instead? And I think that's where the error in the logic on the part of Alavila was. Yeah, and I think they they were rushing to deal him because obviously what happened at the closed-door meeting, they, need, they needed to get something done, they felt. Um, they didn't have enough. I mean, they, haven't, they didn't have enough time, I guess they feel. But, I mean, the AL Central is pretty weak right now, and I'm not saying you buy but if that was the haul you're going to get, it's almost as if, is it better than nothing, or do you just let J.D. walk? And that's something I think Avila chose, and he thinks he chose the right thing. He went the right way. Yeah, Dom, it might be better off than getting nothing in return uh, for J.D. in terms of, well, players right now uh, because of the fact. Now, you get that you get that compensatory draft pick. By letting him go, you do get that right by letting him walk. Isn't there such a thing down for JD? The new it would only be it would only amount to a a mid mid fourth round pick, a fourth rounder, not yes, yeah. and that's what it was a fourth yeah. rounder, which I don't think is good enough for the market value that JD Martinez should have possessed does possess now in a D backs uniform. So I think. Honestly, what they got is better than nothing, but that's all I can say about it. That's the best way to label the Tigers yeah, trade yeah. in an optimistic yeah. point of view, that they got better than nothing by getting some middle infielders and specifically positional prospects in a farm system that is the Tigers that is very barren in terms of positional players. Yes. And what also sucks, too, is J.D. Martinez has been the most productive Tiger in the last three, three four seasons here, too. So you're thinking to yourself, well, if this is what we get out of it, and this is where we're going to move forward with. With <laughs> that, I mean, our replacement is uh, maybe a guy that gets to the majors and maybe plays. And you know, we, he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't even play full time. We'll yeah. see. But it, to me, if there's one word to describe it, if you're a Tigers fan, it's underwhelming. Underwhelming is the adjective to use, Dom. What a great adjective by you, as you are the man with knowledge, able to use any kind of adjective out there, and you choose underwhelming. I think the best way to put it, and Anthony Fennick, by the way, Dom, as you probably already know, wrote a piece related to this trade, 
and got some scouts and talent evaluators to give their input about the Tigers' return. And they compared Dewell Lugo to your man from the White Sox in the past, Juan Arebe, who had like three quality seasons out of a long career in the bigs, but was never a steady performer at shortstop or at third, as he played third later in his career. For me, if that's the best you're getting out of Lugo, and that's the headliner of your deal, that's not good enough. No, that, that's your headliner, too. And I've also heard he has... He he can he 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 has the bat with him. The hitting's there. He he grades higher with the hitting. His fielding can he transition? He's going to have to transition to third base. They don't think he could cut it at shortstop, and he's shown that in the minors. Uh, he's posted good numbers, power numbers, but usually the one thing that drops the most among players that do well in the minors is slugging percentage. So I don't expect him to slug that well. Um, yeah, Juan Arribe did not have great seasons. He had a good season with the the White Sox. Um, obviously, you know he led the White Sox in 2005. Uh, he was their shortstop, one of their leaders on the team uh, on the left side of the infield. But um, yeah, it's it's Dwell Lugo's not a standout prospect. Obviously, there's other guys, Socrates Brito, who's hurt right now on the Diamondbacks farm system, uh, who could level off in the outfield. Uh, can play right field with a strong enough arm. There was better options, I think, and I think they could have coerced the Diamondbacks if they waited. G.D. Martinez, an 879 OPS, that is on-base plus slugging percentage, each year since 2014, an OPS above 1,000 in a Tigers uniform this season when he was a Tiger. That was the third-best OPS in the American League at the point of him being dealt, and it's all you can get in return. Very lackluster, and that's the adjective I will choose to use for the J.D. Martinez Return. So, yeah, think about the names he was up an OPS. Yeah, Aaron Judge, mm-hmm. Mike Trout. Yeah, yeah, stellar that's, names. That's, that's disappointing. Very disappointing. Disappointing haul for the Tigers. Not so disappointing for your White Sox, as we noted when you were in studio breaking down the Jose Quintana trade. And now Dominic, they might have to package Verlander and Justin Wilson, or Justin Wilson and Ian Kinsler, to get something from a team like the Brew Crew, as Rick Hahn perfected really with that Yankees trade, the haul that he got in return uh, for David Robertson, two other dudes. So a three-player deal for the White Sox, I believe, and they got a quality prospect or two in return from the Yankees by doing so, and maybe the Tigers take a page out of the White Sox's playbook in order to get a good return for Justin Wilson and Ian Kinsler, or let's say Ian Kinsler and Verlander, or Wilson and Verlander, Dom. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, packaging guys will help you maybe get more. It will probably maximize your return and what you're going to net. The problem is... I think people confuse value with the player. So what I mean by that is, is he worth it? And especially for a low budget team like the like the Brewers, um, who don't spend on free agents. I don't know packaging Verlander, but I'll say I think the Tigers get more creative by packaging. Uh, this might be unpopular. You could pa- you could package you know Upton, Wilson, and Avila, um, three of your best value guys, and get something like Lewis Brinson, Brett Phillips in return. Uh, depending how how invested are the Brewers in, because um, they they could resign if you know Upton opts out. We'll see, but um, it's a little bit cheaper, a little bit more affordable than Verlander. It's something that could could make the Brewers more enticed with. It. I don't know if Verlander is that enticing for them. Dom Churko, who I should call Dominic Churko now, as Nicholas Castellanos wanted to be called Nicholas, and Matthew Boyd wanted to be called Matthew. So we better call Dominic 
Dominic Churko, by the way, Doc. We forgot that last week, so let me correct myself for calling you. I think, Dom, when I introduced you for this segment. But uh, anyways, I'll leave you with this, Dominic Churko. Will Justin Verlander be dealt? And if so, what would he be able to land the Tigers in return for his services? I'm going to have to say no right now. And I'll, I'll talk about, I think the team most likely, and it would be the best fit, is the Dodgers. Um, obviously they can, I mean, the bottom line with Verlander is he's going to be suitable for a team that needs to win the world series right now. I mean, I mean, they got it. There's no window here because he's not worth that. And that's why he's, he's the best fit for, um, the Dodgers. And we've seen 35 year olds fall off like Roy holiday at 35. He fell off. Now what he would be able to net, uh, you might have to take on a bad contract. I mean, I've, you've heard in the talks, uh, Scott Chasmere, Ryu, uh, who pitched last night against the Twins. We'll see. I don't. I don't think they'll be willing to give up someone like Yadier Alvarez or Alex Verdugo, but it could be someone in the majors right now. And if it is, it'll be one of their pitchers. They already. They already have an extra pitcher with Rich Hill. They're the team right now that could do it. Uh, it would be feasible for them. But I'm gonna have to say no right now because he's not a he's not a guy that you're gonna rely on for if your team waits. I'm waiting on a window here. You have to be in a win mode, and I think the Dodgers are gonna pass. Dom, simply, would you rather have Sonny Gray of the Athletics or Justin Verlander of the Tigers right now? Oh, right now he's Verlander's last start. Uh, just for this year, I want Verlander, uh, but. Uh, Going forward, and I think that's, that's that's the unfortunate thing. If Verlander's a free agent, absolutely Verlander. Um, but going forward for some of these teams, for the Dodgers, Verlander, for the Brewers, Sonny Gray. And Doc, with that, I'm saying adios to Dom. Dominic Churko, that is, on episode number 100 of Tiger Stock with Churko and Company. Dom, thanks for all the time, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Interesting stuff there from Dom. I know that a lot of people are weighing options and wondering, you know, another name, that has kind of come up and is looked at and viewed upon as a rental because he is you Darvish at the same time as being shopped around. And many people are comparing Verlander and Darvish and things like that. So here's the problem that El Avila has is that there are other pitchers available that teams could want and maybe cherish a little bit more. You Darvish, I think is a little bit better this year than Justin Verlander. But at the same time, I don't want to disrespect Justin Verlander. Dude has stuff, and he does have value. And that's why I do give credence to what you're saying, in that because of the way Al Avila has negotiated, JV likely might still be here. And you got to remember, too, there is one option in play that we all are not considering because we don't think Justin Verlander's a dick. But any move at all, if he doesn't want to make it, he just says one word, no. And he doesn't have to go anywhere. So I would love, and I'll get your sense right now if I ask you, if a move is made and it's put in place and it's presented to Justin Verlander, do you think it gets released that he turns it down and says no? Or they just kind of try to, I don't know if they have to release it if he does try and turn it down first, if they can keep that under wraps once he denies it. But Justin Verlander might go from toast to the town to buster of the millennium if he vetoes a trade. Any scenario in which you see Justin saying, hell to the no, boss, I'm staying. Well, I think to the Milwaukee Brewers, he would deny waving his no-trade clause because look at the Brewers and where they, they, they've been good all season long. 
in the National League Central, but you know they're in the same division as the defending World Series champion Chicago Cubs, who are still viewed as the best team in the NL Central, if not the National League, once they get into the playoffs. And I believe they will still get there despite their struggles throughout the first half, the Cubs, that is. And they will catapult the Brewers for the division crown in the NL Central. You think the Cubs that? are the better team, so why would you waive your no-trade clause with the Brewers, who, by the way, don't have a shot to win at all? They might get in as a wild-card team, but actually... I don't. It's not going to happen because you got a team like the Diamondbacks who will get in as a wild card team before them. A team like the Rockies, also in the NL West, that will get in before the Brewers. So why would you waive your no trade clause to play for the Milwaukee Brewers, a team with no tradition? You know he's already Mister Hollywood, Justin Verlander. So if you ship him to the LA Dodgers, he waives his no trade clause. But I could see him being a dick to almost every other team out there that the Tigers could potentially deal him to. Ooh, that would be something else. Okay, so everybody that's been talking about the Tigers and Justin Verlander are wondering, okay, where does Justin rank in terms of all-time Detroit Tiger pitchers? And a lot of people on our Twitter page, at Detroit Podcast, which you can message us anytime regarding anything at all. Many people are wondering, where does Justin Verlander rank in terms of all-time pitchers? Tom in Ohio chimes in on Twitter, and he writes, I don't even rank Justin Verlander in the top three. He ranks it as Jack Morris, Hal Newhauser, Mickey Lolich number three, Justin Verlander number four, which sparked a lot of debate across our Twitter page because people are like, look, how do you compare eras? What is it that Morris had that Justin Verlander didn't have? You know, what is it that Verlander possessed that doesn't allow you to think that Jack Morris was the best pitcher? Some people will bring up and note it on our Twitter page that, Jack Morris never got anywhere near MVP or a Cy Young. Verlander had those great performances in the divisional series and that he's got better stuff, is a better power pitcher, and he has done it for a longer period of time. So the debate is on. It's raging. It's a really good one. Um, On our Twitter poll, more people thought that Jack Morris was a much better pitcher than Justin Verlander when I put the poll on our Twitter page. Well, I'll say this. Jack Morris may be more the clutch pitcher. And he won a World Series with the Tigers in 84, as we already noticed. Everybody already knows out there. But the thing is, in terms of natural talent or all-around stuff, it is Justin Verlander above Jack Morris. Now, and ERA, you know, you look at Jack Morris's ERA, the ERA, you know, the earned run average comparison, it's in the favor of Justin Verlander. Now, it's not now, a lot. Now, 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 on our Twitter page, yeah. the vote is not a lot. It's 54% uh-huh. to Jack Morris. To 46% Justin Verlander at this time. Well, it should be close at least, but I would say Hal Newhauser with a better ERA than both Jack Morris and Justin Verlander should be number one. But Verlander definitely is in the top three. Now, you might rank Jack Morris for all the years he spent in a Tigers uniform and winning a World Series ring in 84 with the Tigers ahead of Justin Verlander in the top three, but Verlander definitely deserves a spot in the top three. But I would say Newhauser is number one with the better earned run average for his career head-to-head with Justin Verlander. But Verlander, I think, has to be number two at this point among the best Tigers starting pitchers of all time. See, I fall into the camp of, I know it's a team game, but I can't rank Justin Verlander number one with no rings. I know it's a team game, but at the same time, if you don't want to look at his performances and his total rings, you look at how did he do in the brightest lights? How did he do in the World Series? And did he help his team win? And I know that... People will look to the bullpen, the fact that the team in 2012 forgot how to field, and there were issues with hitting and fielding in the couple World Series where the Tigers were there. It stinks that they didn't put forth their best effort because most people will think that the 2012 team was elite. 
So Vito, when you look at it, the Tigers have had quality pitching. They just were not able to collectively in 2013, 2014, when they got to the postseason with great talent, great pitching, and great hitting, they just weren't able to, with a weak bullpen, get out of the postseason and, and really continue the stretch that they had following 2012. And it's just really unfortunate that there's no rings. But I do punish Justin Verlander for it, so I'll rank him number two behind Jack Morris. Newhauser should be number one. He won two MVPs, by the way. Verlander only has one MVP. And guess what Newhauser has that Verlander doesn't have? Same What's thing it? with Morris. It's a World Series ring as Newhauser won in 1945 with the Tigers, a World Series championship. Verlander is hurt by that a little bit, but his credibility isn't taking that big of a shot because I still rank him number two as well. So really, in the grand scheme of things, how much does it hurt his legacy in a Tigers uniform? It does, but I don't think it does significantly, especially if you're ranking him in your top three, as we both are, at number two in our respective rankings. The difference is, as if we're flip-flopping Jack Morris and Hell. Newhauser. You have Newhauser number three then, or who do you have number three, by the way, Doc? I'll go with Mickey Lolich, then Hal Newhauser. Okay, Lolich makes your top three, Newhauser number four. Okay, got, very my, good. That's my list. That's how we have it listed then here on Tigers Talk with Chirko and Company. And you said that Verlander could be the buster of the millennial if what? If he doesn't ever win a World Series or what? What did you say about, or if he was a dick, right, about not waving his no trade clause? I think the fans would be upset if he did that because... He, it's well aware that his contract is prohibitive. It's well aware that his time, I think, is up realistically. The fans are ready to move on. They've said their piece. I do believe that he does have fans. People do respect him, but people do realize this is how you rebuild the team. Is you got to let people go. And unfortunately, the first one might be after J.D., Justin Verlander. But at the same time, many people are going. And I give you credit. And I get, I've given you credit all week. On the podcast. You better keep giving me credit. That's yes. why I'm going to stay on this and podcast. And that you said early on, and you've said it, I think with Ryan Schuling as well, when you did the hit with him on his radio program, that Alex Avilo's numbers were going to come down, that he could not sustain hitting above 320. And like we've seen now, he's played more, and now he's coming back to return to the old Alex Avila. So good for you, I thought, and that's why we have you here. You kept a rational mind and said, look, Alex Avila hasn't been playing much. He's not injured. And that if he were to play every day, his numbers logistically, when you look at numbers, that's why you're our numbers guy, that his performance would dip, and it has. So good for And we you. can say with him, with that being said, he's regressing to the mean, right? He's regressing to the As mean. As a major leaguer. And Al Avila didn't trade him at his peak because now the price has probably come down a little bit in that you probably should have traded him two weeks ago at his peak. Oh, well, Al, when you sit on your hands, this is what happens. Really quick, Doc, with all of that already being said, I want to get into our Toast of the Town and Buster of the Week selections for this week's episode. And for me, first and foremost, I I think I want to get into the Toast of the Town for me. I'm going to select Matt Boy, Matthew Boy, that is, for his two straight quality outings that he has pitched since being recalled from AAA Toledo. How about you for your Toast of the Town? Toast of the Town, Justin Verlander, amazing performance versus Kansas City. Everyone, you got to remember too, there were lots of scouts watching him in that performance at home versus Kansas City. Scouts have been pouring into Detroit, watching, seeing, kind of putting their notes together to report back to their general managers as to what does JV have left. And when the pressure's on, when people are watching, you look at it and you say he performed. So kudos to him. And uh, my buster of the week, Brad Osmus. 
everyone knows potentially that Justin Verlander might not pitch anymore in Detroit. So I think the onus was on him to let him come out in the eighth inning, let him go, maybe just throw a pitch, um, maybe even outside, even though, you know, however it might have worked out. But the fans deserved to just have him stand there and, uh, and applaud the 10 years of service, even though you might, he might keep him. It's still nice to appreciate the guys that we do have still from time to time. So I think Brad Ausmus should have let Justin Verlander stand out there and take his ovation. He didn't give us that opportunity. So shame on you, Brad. Buster of the week. Maybe at least dick of the week he should yeah. receive Brad Ausmus, that is. But the thing is, You're maybe he already sick. knows the writing's on the wall that they're not going to deal him before that or by that yeah, July 31 non-waiver trade deadline. Alavilo's probably already assured him of that and assured Verlander of that as well, Doc. Who's your Buster of the week? I was going to say, I have another Toast of the Town candidate really quick. Mikey Matuk. How about oh. the July he's had? A killer very July. Nice, We've nice. got to credit him for what he's done. A lot more successful at the plate of late. Then when he started this season, when I thought, man, he was irrelevant at the plate and couldn't hit to save his life. Now he's looking like a legitimate major leaguer and Ooh. at least a platoon partner for somebody in center field. Where, uh, they and last week he hit that massive home run versus Kansas City on the road. Unfortunately, the Tigers blew it, but hell, the guy's puffing up. He's doing his thing. But again, similar to Alex Avila, if you look at other numbers like strikeout rate and things like that, dude can still improve and uh, not an everyday center fielder in my mind. Not a starter, full-time starter, and same thing with Alex Avila. You're right. Really quick, Buster of the Week is Alex Avila's father, Al Avila, for the returning yes, yes. guy and the J.D. Martinez trade. And also because I've got to see more out of him going forward. Yeah, boo me all you want. You can boo Al, Al Avila. Boo that him. That was for Al. That was for that Al. That was for him. Good. Yes. So you're always booing me. Well, <laughs> he's a guy to boo right now because the return wasn't good enough from the D-backs. Why even deal with the D-backs? Like 26 out of 30 Major League Baseball clubs in terms of farm systems. And you deal with them, of all teams? Not a good return. Whack. Should have waited until closer to that July 31 non-waiver trade deadline. All right, with that, this podcast will come to a close. Great recording, Vito. Proud of you, man. Not a lot of podcasts on the network have gotten to 100, and you've done a great job now in the better part of three seasons, and uh, you're our baseball guy. You're the guy that uh, you can check out and and check out series previews at thefreep.com. Great publication, and uh, they're lucky to have you. And the onus really quick now is on Al Avila and his next move to get a good haul. If he does not for the next move that he makes – he might be out of a job come season's end. Cheers, my friend. Here's to 100 more. Adios. Check out all the other fine podcasts, DetroitSportsPodcast.com. Listen, rate, review on iTunes. Thank you for everybody that's been giving us five stars. It's greatly appreciated. See everybody next week.